0: pool and swimming to uh, the track and field now, which has already begun this weekend. And some of you may be wondering, that doesn't look like Rio. Well, it's not. That race was actually from the World Championships last year. And uh, the reason I showed you that one is because you saw what happened at the end. The American team was leading the race. It's us and Jamaica, I mean, the two rivals countries in track and field. And we were leading the race until the American relay team and the 4x1 did the one thing that you cannot do in a relay race, which is drop the baton, right? Folks, it doesn't matter how fast you are. It doesn't matter how well you run the race if you don't properly pass the baton and make the handoff. The rest of the race doesn't really matter. Now, the guy was really, really fast and is a world-class athlete and ended up, I think they got third or fourth or something like that. But when they didn't hand the baton off, it didn't Matter That you need a successful handoff, and the same is not only true in uh, an Olympic sense and a track and field sense, but in our lives as well. Life is a relay race, isn't it? When you think about it, we're only here for a glimpse. I was thinking about this this morning a couple Easter's ago. We wrapped a large part of—this is when we were worshiping at the elementary school—we almost wrapped the entire building in this big, long rope. Just spools and spools and hundreds and hundreds of feet of rope. And then in the middle of my sermon, I grabbed that rope and I held it. And one little dot on that rope represents our time here on this earth. And the rest of it is eternity. So in comparison, we have a very little time on this earth, which means it's essential that we're not just passing like a, a physical baton, but that this would represent almost the faith that we are passing from one generation to the next. It is essential that we're thinking about who's coming Behind us. And that's really the theme of our scripture that Julia read for us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you have your phone or your tablet, go ahead and take that out. If you're going to tweet, just tweet about the sermon. That's all I ask. So 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you're looking for it, you're going to feel like you're almost to the end, like you're running out of room. It's way back there by Revelation. There's 1 Timothy, there's 2 Timothy, just because he had more to say. So, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and you remember last week, Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, and this week, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, but he's writing specifically to someone, and that someone, his name is Timothy, or T-Money, as his friends call him, and so he's hanging out there. Paul and Timothy uh, have this really close relationship. In fact, they planted this church in Ephesus together. And now Paul is writing these books of 1 and 2 Timothy back from a distance to his protege. Paul is almost a mentor of sorts to Timothy, which gives context to everything that we're going to talk about today. So if you skip down to verse 12, if you're familiar with scripture, you've probably heard this verse before. So Paul writes, verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct in love, in faith, and in purity. So you can tell from this passage, and really as you dig into the rest of Paul's letters and the context around them, Timothy has not just been like a colleague or a partner in ministry, but Paul has really poured into him. He's mentored, he's invested, he's coached him. He spent time with him to the point where earlier in this book, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul actually starts out the letter in his greeting to Timothy by saying this. He says, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Now, we don't throw that phrase around flippantly. We just say, hey, son, you know, like that means something. You don't just call somebody your son if they're not your biological son. There's a deep sort of relational connection between Paul and Timothy, almost a father-son, mentee-mentor relationship where you could almost say that Paul is intentionally passing the baton of faith to Timothy in the younger generation. He's passing it. Everybody say, pass it. it. Oh, more than five of you. Everybody say, pass it. Pass it. it. I know you're the 11 o'clock crowd. You're awake. We can do this. All right. So before you check out this morning, I know a lot of you maybe hear that and say, passing on to the next generation. And some of you are already thinking, well, I don't have kids or I don't have kids in the home anymore, or I don't have grandkids, or I'm not really involved with kids in any way in my life, and so this doesn't really apply to me in terms of the next generation. Well, you dig a little bit deeper, it'd be important to know that when Paul says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, that word for young in the original Greek is niotes. Everybody say niotes, Neotes. And this is going to be good news for some of you and bad news for some of you that are concerned about your age and getting older. In those times when Paul is writing this to Timothy, neotes was used to describe anyone up to the age of 40, even, would be considered young. So if you're under that today, congratulations. If you are over that, just, I'm going to move on with the sermon and not say anything else about that right now. Old is a relative term, but I'm stating the facts. That's what neotes means. So scholars would even say that Timothy is probably in his mid-30s at the time that Paul is writing this. Timothy is not some punk 15-year-old teenager or something like that that's running the streets, and Paul's saying, well, I'm going to invest in you, Sonny. These are like two adult-grown men that have this relationship, and because of that, I don't want you to miss this fact before we move on. You never outgrow the need for a mentor. Do you have one? Do you have somebody that's pouring into you that's farther down the line than you. You never outgrow the need of somebody investing in your life. Life is a relay race, and every single one of us is called to pass the baton, but also, this is where the illustration breaks down a little bit, we're all called to pass the baton, but also, no matter what age we are, we're all called, as we're running the race, to intentionally look behind us at generations that are coming behind us, whether they're one year younger or many years younger than you, and say, who am I intentionally handing the baton off to. At the same time we're passing the baton of faith forward, we're also, or we're looking ahead and receiving it, and we're also passing it backwards. And that's what we see in this relationship between Paul and Timothy. So what I want to explore with the rest of our time today is three main keys to making sure that that baton handoff happens from what we see here in First Timothy. So, Timothy, for the first thing that needs to take place, if you're taking notes or if you're keeping score at home, the first one is this, first key is this. Both runners, both generations need to be in the race. For a handoff to take place, you need two runners. And I know you're saying, John, that seems super simple, duh, right? But when you apply that to our Christian lives, we also miss it a lot. Often in the church, We just have one of those two groups of people, one of the two generations of runners. We have a whole lot of Pauls and not a lot of Timothys, or we have a whole bunch of Timothys and there's not a lot of Pauls that are pouring back into them. But it's important to remember that when I talk about mentoring and discipling and whatever you want to call that, this has nothing to do with physical age, with your earthly age. Spiritual maturity And physical maturity are two entirely separate things. You can be a grown adult and be spiritually and emotionally an infant or a child. You can grow old and never really grow up. And so, what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do is not grow old in years, like become 50, like me. He's saying, I want you to grow up, Timothy. I want you to become mature spiritually as a man of God, and I'm encouraging you as a young man. I've seen people in their 20s mentoring and discipling and coaching people that are twice their age because it has nothing to do with what's on the outside, but as we read in 1 Samuel, God says, I do not look at what men look at or what humans look like. I look at the heart. And I want to know what's going on inside here. You can grow old and never really grow up. Because spiritual maturity has to do with wholeness of heart. Have you taken time to address the things that are going, the underlining issues and motivations in your heart? Why do you do the things you do? Are there habitual sins and habits that continue to trip you up? How how healthy are your relationships? This is where faith gets very practical. Are you spiritually mature? Later on, in the book of Ephesians, which is also to this church in Ephesus that Timothy is now leading, Paul writes this, or put it up on the screen. And it says, it, Paul says that God's goal for us is that, let's read it together, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul's saying that God's heart for you is that you would be a different person a week from now than you are right now. That you would be a different person a month from now than you are right now. That a year from now, if you're sitting back here, you are a completely different person. Why? Because Christianity is about transformation. And some of us miss that. Some of us miss basically the entire theme of the New Testament, of the back half of your Bible. Jesus dies, rises again, and says, You are new creations, you are a son or daughter of the living God. This is who you are, and now Christianity is learning to live like it's true. And yet some of us just think, well, I got saved once. I think I got baptized. I come to church every week. Isn't that good? I know we love it that you're here, but you're missing the adventure of following Jesus every single day, that you would grow up into Christ. Because here's the reality. For all of us, there's the danger. You can become a full-time church attendee and be a part-time disciple. Faith is a daily, active relationship. It is not an event once a week. And that's a danger that we often slip into. So it's for the sake of today and thinking about the importance of passing on the faith I want to talk to two specific groups of people, and and I know I'm probably putting people in a box, but we have Paul's and we have Timothy's. We have an older generation, we have a younger generation, and I'm just, for the sake of not offending anybody, I'm going to let you choose which category you fit into today, and you can have your little time in your head of whether you're young or old. And some of you, actually, are going to identify with both, okay? So the first group I want to speak directly to today is my generation, even younger, those of you that are maybe in your 20s or 30s which, praise God, we have a lot of here at Hope Des Moines and across our Hope family, which is rare. And we're very thankful for that. But oftentimes, that's not the case. Those of us that are maybe a little bit early in our journey and we're building families and we're building careers or we're figuring out just what life is all about, I want to speak to you a second as Timothys to put ourselves back into this story. And I just want to say this. We love it that you're here. We love it that you're here, but I want to challenge you today, and I'm putting myself at the front of this line. It is one thing to be present. It is another thing to engage. To say, I may be early in my life, I may be 20 or 30 or whatever that is, and think, oh, I have so much time to get serious about my faith. But I want to challenge you with today is to put your roots down, to find community, to be in relationship, and to engage To say, yes, I get it. That was what my parents did. That's what I grew up with. That's the traditions I've been handed down. But now, as an adult or as a family, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is what we're going to do. We're creating new traditions as a family. We're going to leave our nuclear families and we're going to cleave to each other and form a new family. Or even as a single adult. So you're saying, this is who I am now. I am an adult. I'm an independent person. I'm going to make my choices and I'm going to take ownership of my faith journey, and we're going to get on that road together. We're going to engage. If you, if you think about the story, Timothy didn't have to hang out with Paul. You think about Timothy, is probably in his mid-30s, and Timothy could have very easily said, this Paul guy, he's like in his upper 50s, you know, why would I hang out with this old church planner guy? He's well beyond his prime, you know, what does he know about being young and hip in the 30s, you know, you know, hitting the nightclubs in Ephesus or whatever he doing. to do, you know, <laughs> That's not in there. I just made that up. But Timothy didn't have to seek out Paul, but he did. And we know from context that they hang out a lot together, and they plant these churches all over the Mediterranean. Timothy, those of you in your 20s and 30s, and I'm speaking to myself, purposely took a posture of learning during this season of his life. As followers of Jesus, we're called to be servants to be servant leaders and for a stage of our lives take the low seat at the table. Scripture says that God exalts the humble and he will raise you up in due time. The theme for our 20s and 30s, I'm convinced from Scripture, is to become men and women of character and integrity in whom God can entrust his power as we grow older as God gifts you with a family. Leading a company, leading a church, leading a ministry, whatever it is, a group of friends. That's what the 20s and 30s are about. You think about Timothy, I mean, he's at his prime age and the, the, the culture then and probably the culture now just screams at us, no, you're in your 30s. This is when you make it big. This is when you reach the top. This is when you climb the ladder and make your money and build your business. You don't want to wait until you're 40, then you're past your prime. You've got to do that now and the culture just screams build, build, build and I think God screams dig, dig, dig. Dig up the inner motivations and get healthy in your heart and your character and in your integrity 20s and 30s and do the little things well. Spend time with Jesus every day. Develop a healthy Righteousness. Spend time with Jesus. Be, be an excellent spouse. Be a great mom or dad. Be a person of integrity at work. Get over yourself, dare I say, and serve on a regular basis. During my sabbatical three or four months ago, I was listening to a lot of podcasts from some other pastors, and there was an interview about mentoring. And this young pastor in his young 30s, says, he said he was interviewing his mentor, who is a 76-year-old retired pastor from uh, the East Coast, and, uh, you know, a lot of us in our 20s and 30s would say, well, you know, what did you possibly learn from a 76-year-old? He's past his prime. There's nothing hip, cool about him. And this, this young pastor in his 30s said, I have learned more from sitting at the feet of this man than I will ever read from the next, you know, great book bestseller or seven ways to change your life or ten ways to be a better husband or whatever, why not go and talk to a guy that's done it? And I am convinced that one of the dangers, and I'm guilty of this all the time, one of the dangers for us as a generation of 20s and 30s and even younger is that we get obsessed with celebrity. We get obsessed with the next new and hip and trendy thing that's out there instead of looking back to the things that are tried and true. I don't know if you struggle with that. I'm just telling you what I feel. And what this 76 year old pastor, this mentor, said to this young man in the interview he said, one of the things, unfortunately, that I see about these up and coming generations, not as a critique, but just as a be aware, he says, is the inability or even the unwillingness to ask questions, to ask for help. And I'm just as guilty of this as anyone, but when we're in our 20s and 30s and we're learning how to start a career, to have healthy, godly friendships, to be married, to raise kids, the tendency is when your marriage starts to crumble, when parenting becomes difficult and that affects your marriage, when things aren't going well at work and you're, you're depressed or you're sad or whatever it is, our tendency in this generation is to pull back and to isolate ourselves and certainly not ask somebody older for help. That's why they're there. That's why Timothy had Paul. Don't isolate yourselves. Lean in. I love how Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 puts it. God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. This is great advice for those of us in our 20s and 30s. Verse 16, we read this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for what? The seven tips to a healthier life? The ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. The old roads. Go find the men and women of God that just fly under the celebrity radar, that have been faithful husbands and faithful wives and faithful parents, and that have maybe worked in the same job and just plowed away for years, not expecting any hype but man, do they know how to love Jesus. That's where the gold is, young adults, young professionals, young marrieds, young families. Plug in, ask for help. If if as I'm talking about this, you're like, I want that, like ask for it. A couple years ago, I realized I didn't have this and so now I have three or four older guys that I meet with, older men that I meet with on a regular basis. It doesn't have to just be one person. It can be multiple people and if you have a hard time finding that, maybe it's in a small group. I mean, one of the things I love about a lot of our life groups here at Hope Des Moines is they're, they're cross-generational. So we've got young couples and older couples, and we've got young men and older men and young women and older women whatever stage of life that you're in, and we're learning from each other. I think that's so powerful. We're passing the baton. We're, we're receiving the baton and moving it forward. Put yourself in a position to learn. So first to the Timothys in the room, to the younger generations that I am a part of as well. Number one, are you engaged? Are you in the race? Are you engaged in church? Are you actively serving and in relationships? And secondly, do you have a Paul or a set of Pauls? Do you have mentors? Do you have people that are pouring into you? And so just as Timothy didn't have to hang out with Paul, Paul didn't need to pay any attention to a Timothy in his life. Paul could have very easily said, you know, I'm, I'm getting to the end of my life and I've planted all these churches. I've been really successful. And so all I'm concerned about is the finish line. I don't, even ha- I don't even need to carry a baton. I'm just going to run and do my own thing. The race is just about me. I'm not going to b- pass the baton of faith, but he didn't. And so for those of you that I would say are Pauls, those of you that are over halfway done through your journey or in the back half or back third or back fourth of your life, let me say this. We need you. Maybe nobody's ever told you that, but we need you in the church. And dare I say, We need you now more than ever. We need you now more than ever. We need you to be examples and role models. It's not just set an example for the believers when you're young. It's set an example for the younger believers when you're old. We need you as well. I think the danger is, just like being younger, the danger of being older, and when I say older, I just say halfway through your life or whatever you want to say, maybe your kids are growing up, the kids are out of the house, whatever it is, we get in this mindset specifically in the church that maybe figuratively and literally, it's just time to kick your feet up, I've done my time, I've helped with children's ministry, I've raised my kids, I've done my serving, and now it's time to let the younger generations have it, and I'll just sit back and remember the glory days of when I was involved. And I've seen this time and time again. My dad's been a pastor for 40 years. I've been in the church my entire life. And it breaks my heart. Because I look out, and I am so thankful that I look out and I see so much kingdom potential in this room. And praise God that so many of you are using it. And you're following God's call in your life to be active and to be engaged. I heard another seasoned pastor say to those of you in older generations, one time, he just posed this question What if your next five years were your best five years? What if your greatest contribution to the kingdom is still ahead of you? What if your greatest impact on youth and kids is still coming, even if your kids are already grown? What if God has called you to be a mother or a father in the faith for those? that are younger, that are watching you. And if you need some motivation for this, I just want to tell you, I did a little research this week, and did you know that when Abraham got called by God out of the land of Ur to go start this new family and this new nation that would become Israel, he was 70 years old. Seventy. Do you know that when Moses was out Herding cattle and, 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 and out in the, in the desert, in the wilderness, and the burning bush appeared to him. Moses was 80 years old. He wasn't in the Mount Sinai retirement home. He was out there living, being active, and God shows up and says, Now is when I want to make you, uh, make you have an impact. And when him and Aaron go and speak to Pharaoh, And have the boldness and the courage to ask the most powerful man in the world, God says, Let my people go. Some of you are like, Oh, yeah, he did that in his 20s. 83. So, for those of you that are over halfway done with your life and are towards the back half of your journey here on this earth, let me say this there's hope. There's hope. And at the same time, there's no excuse. God doesn't call the equipped, He equips the called. And God is going to give you everything you need to do everything that he has called you to do, whether you're young or you're old. Paul could have said, I don't need to pass this baton. That's well beyond me. But here's the thing. Timothy ends up doing incredible things, even things better than Paul. And for those of you that are parents, whether your kids are in the home or they're grown, you never stop being Parents teachers, for those of you that are mentors, for those of you that are leaders in any way or supervisors or bosses at work or whatever you have, a team or people that you influence, may it be said of us, may it be true that our ceiling is someone else's floor. That our maximum capacity, the impact that we make is to invest in the next generation. That's what servant leaders do. Their fruit grows on other people's trees. Life is not about you and what you can consume. It's about what you can reproduce and multiply in the next generation. And when I say the next generation, that might be the young man at work that's sitting in the cubicle next to you that's three years younger. This is about spiritual maturity, not physical age. You can do this. But here's the danger. Just as there's dangers for the younger generation, there's some dangers for the older generation as well. And this really applies to all of us, really, but it's kind of like the quadruple whammy, and I was thinking about it this week. Why do we not engage? Why do we not get active in the church? Well, number one, we are Scandinavian. A lot of you have Scandinavian heritage and background, yeah. Okay? I grew up in Story City, and our town festival was Scandinavian days, people, so just deal with it, okay? That's, That's who I am. We're Scandinavian... You're sitting in a Lutheran church, so a lot of you are Lutheran or you're pretending to be Lutheran and you're imposters. Number three, I'm just kidding. Most of us are from Iowa. And last but not least, we're churchy people. And you know the quadruple rammy is, you add those four things up, you know what you get? A lot of nice people. You are nice. We are nice, Midwestern, Scandinavian, Lutheran, church-going folk, yeah? And we're going to have a big old potluck next weekend at the park, Right? We are nice, and being nice is, well, that's cute. Do you know that God's number one desire for you as a Christian is not to be nice? It's to be dangerous for the kingdom of God, to take risks, to step out in courage. And I don't care if you're young or old or whatever category you put yourself in today. Somehow in the church, we have equated being nice with being passive, And we have assumed that those are the same things. I have to be a nice, moral, church-going, conservative person. And therefore, I can never take a risk. I can never take a step of courage and never believe that God can do something through me that I can't believe that I can do in myself. Nice does not equal passive. And you know what? We develop this false false sense of humility sometimes. Both young and older, we say, I could never do that. Oh, you know, I I just don't know enough. I'm not adequately prepared. I haven't been a Christian for that long. I don't have my stuff all together. And the last thing, you know, we want to be as nice people is we don't want to be unnice and we don't want to be a hypocrite. If that was the case, nobody would ever mentor anybody because every single one of us is imperfect. We were a perfect church until you got here. You do know that, right? This is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We don't mentor and disciple people because we're perfect and we're saying be like me. We hand off the baton of faith and say, follow that guy. His name's Jesus. And my job as your pastor and a discipler and your job as a teacher, a parent, a mentor, a coach is to point people to the love of Jesus Christ. You don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. He does. So let's point him to Jesus. That's what we're called to do. False Humility is not godly. Courage is godly. Men or women that think that maybe my time is done, but instead, now, are ready to make the greatest contribution to the kingdom that you've ever made. I will tell you this as younger generations, whether we're five or 35 or anywhere in between, to those of you that are older, that are running ahead of us, we're not looking for perfection, we're looking for authenticity. We want to know what it means to be an imperfect follower of Jesus, and you're a great candidate for that, every single one of you. We want realness, but we need you to be in the race, not just present, but we need you to be engaged. We're desperate for Pauls, people to run alongside, to serve with, and to be in life groups with, and to be in community with, and to see engaged in worship and be passionate about Jesus as 50, 60, 70, 80-year-olds, to finish strong. Don't you want to finish strong instead of coasting to the finish line? Don't you want to reach back and hand off that baton and see people surpass you instead of lording leadership over them? Say, I want another pastor. I hope the next pastor of Hope Des Moines is sitting out here right now, and I'm ready to pass the baton of faith because I want to surround myself with people that are better than me, that can run and accomplish things that I could never accomplish. That's really the heart of a parent, isn't it? We need spiritual mothers and fathers. And we've talked about what that means for us as adults or young adults to adults, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention the younger generations, those that are earlier in their race, that are right under our own roof, that are right here in our neighborhood. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start our fall programming on Rally Sunday on the 10th and 11th. And we're going to kick off not only, we do nursery every single week, and we've got that, but kind of the next leg of the race is our Hope Kids program for grade school kids, Power Life for sixth grade, 6 through 8, and Ignition for 9 through 12, all right here at Hope Des Moines, right here in the city. And I cannot think of a better opportunity to pass the baton of faith to the next generation than getting involved in some of these ministries. I cannot think of what would be a better way to do that, but here's the thing. If we're going to do that, we gotta get rid of whatever obstacles are hindering us. First, we gotta get in the race, both generations, and secondly, we've gotta throw off any entanglements, any obstacles that are in the way. When I think about this idea of removing obstacles, I'm drawn back to my high school days uh, at a track meet. Now, I did not run track, I was a golfer, and golfers wonder, why would you ever run for fun? Uh, and but I was not in the track meet I was watching the track meet and it was one of the last meets of the year and my friend, we'll just call him Steve was one of the best at the 400 meters or the 440 or whatever it was at the time, and so it was one of the last meets, and there was guys and girls from multiple schools there from all around the conference, and they were all hanging out in the infield, and as the the track meet's going on, it's getting down to the last race, which is the 400 meters, and so everybody's just kind of sitting there waiting, and Steve's hanging out there in the middle. He's got his little track suit on, tops and bottoms. He's got sweatpants on, and then his kind of rain jacket, uh, zip-up jacket on the top, and this will mean something here in a little bit. Well, the race is getting closer and closer and pretty soon the announcer comes across and says something to the effect of would all the participants of the 400 meter race now approach the finish line or something like that and everybody's there and they all kinda of start looking around and go, where's Steve? I, he's, not, he's like one of the best at 400 meters in the whole conference and he's not here, everybody else is at the starting blocks and then all these people sitting in the infield in the middle of the track and you should have seen the look of panic on my coach's face when he realizes that his number one runner is not there. And he goes, I kid you not, he goes sprinting into the infield and grabs Steve who is laying on the ground, in the grass, picking dandelions, (laughs) flirting with girls from the rival school, South Hamilton. and the coach just grabs him by the shirt, by the jacket and pulls him and just pushes him towards the, I kid you not, this is happening. The crowd is just laughing hysterically because they know he's not there and he's sitting on the ground and he's desperately trying to get his, he's got his jacket off and he throws that aside. The race is like 10 seconds from starting and he is trying to get his sweatpants over his cleats but sweatpants don't go over cleats very well, do they? And he's trying to desperately get them off and the gun goes off. And so what does Steve do? He pulls up his sweatpants, and he starts running down like this, and the crowd's just laughing and just hysterically. He gets about 100 meters down, and he's trying to run, and his pants have fallen halfway down, and so he's running like this with his sweatpants on. I guess this is legal in Iowa. I don't know. Maybe just in Story City. And uh, and so he gets down, and he has to literally stop on the track, take off his sweatpants as everybody passes him by. This obstacle that he's facing, this this entanglement, and eventually he rips it off, and I kid you not, as he's running and taking off to get back in the race, chucks his sweatpants into the infield, and they just go flying in the air, and he finishes the race. He definitely doesn't win, because there was something wrapped around him, an obstacle, an entanglement. And the moral of the story is, don't flirt with girls from other schools. (laughs) But deeper than that, the moral of the story is, What's getting in the way of you running the race today? What is holding you back? Every single one of us has something that's wrapped around us, whether it's guilt from something you did in the past, this habit or this sin that keeps tripping you up and you just don't feel good about yourself inside because you keep falling into the same thing over and over. For some of you, it is that false sense of humility that creeps into the church that says, I could never do that, whatever that is. Serve, lead a life group, invest in the next generation, work with kids, whatever it is. Oh, I could never do that. It's time to throw it away. Every time that I read this next verse, I think of my friend Steve. Let's put that up on the screen from Hebrews chapter 12. Let's read this together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin. so easily entangles. I just think of that verse and I think of Steve chucking his pants into the infield. What do you need to get rid of today? What is holding you back from fully engaging? What is slowing you down? It's time to pass the baton. And that's the last step. First, you got to get in the race. Secondly, both people have to be in the race. Secondly, we got to get rid of anything that's entangling us. And finally, number three, you've actually got to pass the baton. Everybody say pass it. And you heard me talk about the kids. You heard me talk about adults. A couple weeks from now, we're kicking off all these student ministries. Youth and Hope Kids and the Nursery and Whiz Kids on Thursday nights, our after-school program. And I tell you what, if you want to make an impact, this would be an awesome time to do it. On your seats today, there's a little card that kind of briefly outlines the different opportunities. If you want to take that out and just look at that For a second. This is just a snapshot. There's so many ways to get involved, but we wanted to make it very simple for you today of ways that you can serve. And it starts very young and early in the race with our nursery right now that continues to grow as well. You want to know what I did a couple weeks ago during Amanda's sermon when she was preaching that weekend? I mean, besides listening to the sermon, of course. So good. I snuck out and I snuck down and I worked one of the services in our nursery a couple weeks ago. And you should have seen the look of Terror on parents' faces as they saw their pastor in the nursery trying to wrangle these kids. Like, I think I'm handing my kid off to you. Like, it's fine. I had so much fun. You know why I did that? Because I need to constantly remind myself, and we all need to constantly remind ourselves, that what goes on in there is just as important as what goes on in here. There's a reason That in the Gospels, we read Jesus say, when you welcome a little child in my name, it's like you're welcoming me. A church that doesn't take kids seriously is a church that doesn't take Jesus seriously because they're a priority to him and they're a priority for us here at Hope. There's a reason that when Mother Teresa was holding these babies in Calcutta, India that were being put up and put on the street corner that nobody else wanted them. And she said, I'll take them. I'll hold them. I'll adopt them. She says, I looked into these kids' eyes of babies and toddlers. She said, it was like I was staring into the face of God. Talk about passing the baton of faith. How are we going to share Jesus with them if they don't even have anybody to love them? Maybe God's calling you to pass the baton of faith in the nursery. And figuratively, the next baton passes then to our Hope Kids program, which I'm I'm so, this just boggles my mind, Back in January, we only had Hope Kids at our 915 service, and we're like, well, let's take a shot and let's add it at this service, 11 o'clock service as well. Maybe a couple kids will show up. Well, now, a few months later, our 11 o'clock Hope Kids program is bigger than our 915 Hope Kids program, and our number of kids has doubled in the last five months. So praise God for that. We can be excited about that, absolutely. And because of that, we have this incredible opportunity to invest in their lives. And you see the different opportunities on your sheet there. We will equip you. We will train you. We will give you the materials. And I was thinking about it. You know, a couple years ago when we launched our giving campaign and we were building this building and making financial investments in the future, like it occurred to me, both personally and for us as a church, we're not building this church for us. Remember that long rope with that little dot on it? Even shorter is the time that you're going to be here. We get 70, 80, 90 years maybe on this earth. We're building this church for our kids and for our grandkids and for our great-grandkids. And someday I want them not to just look back through our scrapbooks and say, what a goofy-looking bunch of people back there in the 2000s. I want them looking back and not just knowing, but knowing that they were a priority, that they were invested in, that they were mattered, and they'd never had so much fun, and they'd never been more loved. And let me just say this, married, with kids, without kids, single, divorced, whatever stage of life that you're in, empty nesters, haven't hung out with kids for years, this isn't just for young parents. These are our kids as the church. Why? Because they're God's kids, and they deserve the very, very best we can give them. And so if God's calling you to that, mark that down. Maybe it's student ministry. You want to talk about a a season of life where young men and women in junior high and high school are making the decision, what kind of a person am I going to be? Am I going to ditch my faith and my parents or am I going to take ownership of this? There's no more critical time in a kid's life than junior and senior high. Would you be somebody that comes and helps and pours into them and, and mentors them? Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. And pray about that. And think about that. I was thinking about making this investment, you know, in the next generation, and I came across this story, and we'll land here for today. This is a mom named Aviance, Just a beautiful name. She's down in the South. She's raising two beautiful daughters. And because of the different economic and educational struggles in their life, both of them are just about in seventh grade, and they're reading at a first grade level. And yet this mom... Is taking personally and taking ownership of the need to pass the baton of faith to her two daughters. And so as you watch this, think about what God might be calling you to do as you look at the opportunities that are available for you. Let's take a look. What I love about that story is that for Aviance, she wants her ceiling to be those girls' floor. Who's God calling you to do that for? Who's God calling you to pass that baton of faith? You know, I think about that story and those statistics. We see that right here in Des Moines, Iowa. It's not that different. In fact, on Thursday nights, we do a program called Whiz Kids for kids that may never step inside the walls of this building on a Sunday morning, but they need to know the love of Jesus. And we transport them here and we feed them a meal, maybe the best meal they've had the whole week, depending on their family situation, just right here in the neighborhood, These kids. We tell, t- tell them about Jesus. We do Bible stories. And you know what we're going to do a lot more of this year? We're going to read. Would you take a half an hour a couple times a month and read to some kids to let them know just how much we value them and how much they're loved? Stick around and have some pizza or some tacos and let's sing and dance our hearts out. And maybe that's where God's calling, calling you this Wednesday. It's not on your sheet, but this Wednesday, there's an informational meeting for WizKids at 7 o'clock right here. We would encourage you to check that out if God's calling you to do that as well. Nursery, Hope Kids, student ministry, WizKids, all happening right under this roof in just a couple weeks. God doesn't call the equipped, He equips the called, and you can do this. No sense of guilt or obligation or pressure. If you feel that one bit, don't do anything. But if God has put his love into your heart and you're feeling like you want to give back and you want to share that with other people and it's time to get in the race and pass that baton and stop living for yourself, mark something on that sheet today. You're not committing to anything. We'll just give you a call and talk about where you're at and what God's laid on your heart. It's time to run the race and pass the baton. Amen. Let's stand and pray together. So, God, we thank you. We thank you that you have called us to serve. That serving is not a project we do once and then we wash our hands clean at the end of the day. Servanthood is a lifestyle. And, God, we thank you for all the kids that come to this building every single week. We thank you for the young adults and the young professionals and the young marrieds and the young families and for everybody, no matter what stage of life they're in, even for those that feel like they don't have anything left to give or that are disqualified because of something that they've done wrong in their life. God, would you encourage us today? Would you challenge us to be different people a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, That we would surrender all as we sang today. And God, that you would speak clearly this week about where you're calling us to pass the baton of faith. God, we ask for wisdom into how we spend our time and where you want us to serve. God, we thank you for the servant hearts in this room and for the incredible generosity in this church, in our time, in our talents, and our treasures. And God, I pray that we would continue to give sacrificially not because of guilt or obligation, but because you have first given so sacrificially in sending your son, Jesus Christ, to pay the ultimate price to give everything, to die on that cross and to rise again so that we could join you in becoming who you say we are. And that's servants and followers of you. God, we thank you that you love us right where we are. And yet you refuse us, refuse to leave us there. You call us up you call us out to not just come to church, but to be the church. And we go in that spirit to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus, and all God's people said together, Amen. 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 You can drop this off. There's a box on your way out in the lobby today. Pray about it. Hope 101 in the loft right now. We'll see you next week. God bless you.